Hey everyone and welcome to Hit the Apex this week. Ahead of the German Grand Prix, we're back for a couple of more races before the mid-season break. Another doubleheader as it is with the German Grand Prix returning to the calendar for the first time since 2016. We have that, we've got supercars to talk about as well a bit later and all the little lovely bits in between. So thank you for joining us as always. I'm Jawad with Baden. So we've had one week a uh, one week layoff in between um, races and now we're back into it. We've got two more races before the mid-season break. Hockenheim, I guess, returning to the calendar, a favourite always and uh, a pretty crucial race as well when you think about it with uh, it being Sebastian Vettel's home race as well as Mercedes the team yeah well, this final little prong we've got before that looming break the way it seems to creep up so quickly but I guess we're re-energized after what's felt like a bit of a anomaly there with that weekend off we're so used to that um, I guess triumvirate of Sunday nights the late ones if you're down under so it was probably nice to have a a breather and these last two can really um, decide who, who does enter that break with all the momentum and who knows about this one it's just so bizarre the way it's a biennial event essentially so it's really hard to get a read on who's gonna be superior yeah well this is the first time we come to Hockenheim with these new aerodynamically superior cars and whatnot uh, with the last time uh, 2016 we still had the old arrow and whatnot and I guess ever since we've gotten into the turbo hybrid era as well we've only been to Hockenheim twice out of I think now it's been we're in the fifth year of that yeah. um, hybrid era so yeah to only have been there twice before it's hard to get a read as you say of course but both times uh, were Mercedes victories of course Nico Rosberg in 2014 in front of the home crowd and then Lewis Hamilton in 2016 with that masterclass as well so, um, you know, it's been a Mercedes track. They've got the Mercedes grandstand there. Um, you were saying perhaps this weekend we might see some big news from Mercedes as far as driver announcements and contracts are concerned. So, yeah, it's a bit of a another Mercedes fortress that Ferrari find themselves at as they conquered in Montreal and Silverstone. Could they do the same thing here in uh, Hockenheim this weekend? Sebastian Vettel, he's never won at Hockenheim before, actually, uh, even though he won the German Grand Prix at the Nürburgring, that classic race in 2013, which was an epic. But, uh, yeah, it's all for him to play for this weekend. Yeah, it seems like one of those circuits which isn't really a strong suit for him, but on the basis of Ferrari's form, as we've discussed probably in the past few um, editions, the, the way Ferrari sees that um, really um, away from Mercedes, the momentum you see in previous years, there's reason to believe, and with the tyre treads going back to how they were just the default instead of the, the ones we've had for like Spain and France and then Silverstone where Ferrari got themselves a win against the grain, you could say. I think that um, no reason to think Mercedes will be walking away from it and this would be a huge blow if Ferrari, after what they did do to Lewis Hamilton personally, uh, a fortnight ago to get a victory in front of Mercedes home crowd here that that would really swing things away from them yeah exactly and that's a question that we've asked and talked about over the past few weeks is uh, whether Ferrari has the best car indeed it's a power circuit you could say with the long straights and everything and Ferrari I guess everyone says has the best power unit now so and remember we'll, we're heading to Hungary the next weekend where you could say it's going to suit Ferrari so for Mercedes it's pretty crucial they, they snag one here yeah exactly before that mid-season break but um, Ferrari on the outset I guess the 
probably the most successful manufacturer in Germany when you combine both or all the venues that they've had the German Grand Prix at with of course Schumacher's success with Ferrari in the early 2000s he'd be winning all the races that they'd have on the German Grand Prix circuits but then when you look at their last pair of wins uh, at Hockenheim in particular so 2010 that uh infamous race I guess with Fernando Alonso and uh, Fernando is faster than you Felipe incident and then of course 2012 as well which was I think Alonso's last win from pole position I believe um, in F1 so there were the last two times that Ferrari won at Hockenheim so certainly this year could be one to to uh, have good fortune for those guys. Yeah, I think um, just for them, they're probably going to be happy just to be right up with the Mercedes. And then on Sunday, you again see as much as Hamilton pulls those laps out of the bag in, in final qualifying, if he gets a poor start, as you did at Silverstone, not that any of his fans will let you believe it, it had an effect on the result there, then Vettel's got reason to be very confident. Yeah, well, it's another short run to the first corner at Hockenheim, like Silverstone, and 2014 was the year we saw a bit of carnage there between Felipe Massa, and I think it was um, Kevin Magnussen in the, the ha- uh, not the Haas, sorry, in the McLaren at the time, sorry, and there was a lot of words said about that, so yeah, it's pretty tight going into that first corner, then you've got the drag strip all the way down to turn two and then yeah again that long straight coming out of turns three four and five so um, plenty of overtaking opportunities you'd think as well but um, yeah for Ferrari and Mercedes if we can see the same thing we saw at Silverstone with the the four-way battle there that would be something epic but um, you know let's talk about the other cars Kimi Raikkonen he's been on the precipice you could say of perhaps snagging a win whether it's looking as close and what we whether it's looking closer than it actually is or not. But, you know, Austria certainly seemed like that. Silverstone, could there be a chance? You know, could these next few races, because you always talk about Belgium being that opportunity for Kimi to win. What about even Hungary? Because he's been really strong there in the past. I don't think he's won a race in Hungary, has he? He's been second probably six times. Yeah, like Bahrain, he's he's been second there so many times, but never quite won there. Germany as well, you know, I think he won here back with McLaren back uh, in those days. But yeah, you know, is he really close to winning a race we'll see but um Valtteri Bottas is another one who you know it's hard to believe that second P2 is his best result this year so far given the fact that last year he was so strong he's had a pole position this year as well um back in 2014 he was P2 here for Williams which was a strong result so you know it's a strong circuit for Bottas as well in many respects so could we see him perhaps uh go for the win this weekend too so there are some of the variables in that I guess overall title battle it might not just be between Lewis and uh, Seb but you know we could see perhaps Kimi and uh, Valtteri in it as well yeah I think as far as um, results not not so much performance wise dictating those roles within the the team I think that they've already decided that uh, Hamilton and Vettel respectively will be the the ones duking it out for for title on us so it'll be interesting to see how much strategy and um, team favoritism comes into the equation now that uh, we're really getting to that pointy stage of the season and particularly from Ferrari's point of view after what they went through last year they'll be completely behind Vettel making sure every point is uh, accrued and I guess we did see though conversely at Austria when they allowed Raikkonen to hold on to that second position that at least they're going to do it in a fair way it's not going to be this uh, 
explicit case of just hauling um, Kimmy back and letting Vettel go straight past him when he's clearly looking like he's he's got a shot at victory. Yeah, exactly. Like we've seen in previous seasons, of course, between uh, the Ferrari drivers, of course. So, yeah, um, looking at the tyre choices as well. So, same compounds for both Hamilton and for, for Vettel there, two mediums, four sets of super softs and seven ultra softs so you know they're going I guess uh, nip and tuck as far as that sort of stuff is concerned so trying to stay on an equal footing as much as they can so it'll be interesting to see who who gets out and again those softer compounds have favoured Ferrari a lot throughout the season even though at Silverstone they were still pretty strong when it came to using those harder tyres so yeah you know Ferrari it's hard to look past them as being the benchmark at this stage. Yeah when they get everything right it seems as though they just emerge on top and it's a testament to how far they've they've come they're not uh, 100% of the way there yet that'll only be after they've won a title that we can say they've completed the, the resurrection but it's certainly made things a lot more interesting rather than uh, seeing any pressure and then Mercedes just goes to a whole new level. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that's Mercedes and Ferrari for you. Where do Red Bull, though, sit amongst the leaders? And you could say that at Silverstone, they really lacked the pace behind those two guys considering, you know, Silverstone traditionally was a Red Bull circuit, but now given the fact that, you know, you could take the lap 80% of it flat out um, now with more power, yeah, Red Bull's deficits really showed up there. And again, this weekend, you know, it's a power circuit, so perhaps Red Bull might struggle there. Well, even though last time out they actually had a double podium finished, uh, Ricardo and Verstappen together, and those famous scenes of uh, Ricardo and the Shuey back in 2016. Yeah, again, you never know. I guess based on what happened at Austria, we didn't uh, foresee Red Bull getting a, a victory there, looking very competitive as it was, and um, maybe a few of those slower corners, the hairpins, might just work to its advantage rather than the almost clear-cut um very much minimal um, through, you know, cops and, and, and maggots and, and all of that you saw at Silverstone where they had no opportunity there to, to play to their strong suits. Maybe this time it'll keep them a bit more ballpark. Um, whoever's um, P2 might have a bit of a fight on their hands. Yeah, so, you know, if something goes wrong at the front, of course, Red Bull will be up there. But, you know, on pace alone, it looks difficult for them to actually be in contention. And quickly, too, on Daniel Ricciardo, it looks like he might be taking grid penalties as well, um, tactical grid penalties at that for this weekend. So that already will put him behind. But then again, you know, for future races, for Hungary in particular, where Red Bull are quite strong, you know, it could be a good idea for him to take those penalties now to get the new power unit into the pool and yeah you know come hungry they could be a force yeah i think the signs indicate um that perhaps um even though ferrari and mercedes have their own battle for major honors that red bull at a particular circuit such as hungary or singapore they could have the best package on a a weekend and it's something that they've got to look to and just maximize those results and uh, it might be just playing a, a smarter long game if they they finally take that penalty particularly for ricardo he thought he would have taken after monaco so he's done well to to reach this far but um he's probably been a bit quiet a bit anonymous since that point and he'd probably rather ride off one where he's he's not going to be fighting for victory here and just give it everything at a circuit he's got very fond memories of a week later yeah, exactly. At Hungary, of course, going back a few years ago, 2014, that special win there. But um, overall, Daniel Ricciardo as well still haven't 
heard anything in regards to his future. It looks like he might be staying at Red Bull now. That's probably the consensus in general. So, again, it's sort of fizzled out from all that hype that he could be off to a Mercedes or a Ferrari. Um, or does he take the leap of faith and go to perhaps a McLaren or to a Renault where a long-term project or whatever, he could develop the team? So, yeah, you know, staying at Red Bull, probably the safest bet now. I think, um, yeah, as much as yeah, it's a bit disappointing, we all thought that he he had that potential to be at one of the, the really big two. Um, he's going to have an opportunity now if Honda's really got its act together to capitalise on it. And I guess you discussed a while back that maybe in the, the long run it's something for him that he, he might actually benefit from in, into whatever these these new regulations, whenever we do find out which shape they do take, it might be the best call for him to, to stay put. Yeah, you know, the new regulations, a whole other story, which we'll talk about another time anyway. But uh, yeah, looking at the midfield now, Renault and Haas, I guess, perhaps the uh, battle of intrigue now with uh, Haas having caught up to them in the last few races as well. Renault debuting a new front wing, which they say will be the last front wing update they have before the new changes for 2019, where they're going to be simplified so you know could that be what gives them that edge to to hold off the likes of Haas but Haas saying you know they're concerned that the final sector the slow corners that they have in that stadium section is going to expose their car's weaknesses so it could be an interesting battle between those guys and Roman Grosjean again you know we talked about Silverstone how he just basically threw away a good result you know they both were going to be in the top 10 Magnussen scored of course but yeah Grosjean again you know one point scoring finish all year even though it was a remarkable fourth place he had still it's it doesn't hide the fact that everywhere else he's just been a total failure yeah that clock is ticking again and that speculation does pick up there are several candidates now um, waiting in the wings so he's really got to do something before that break just to to shore up some momentum otherwise he'll be the probably the central talking point over that summer hiatus because we see all the top teams now seem secure he could be I guess the the one who uh, shakes up the midfield outlook for 2019. Yeah, well, that Haas seat, probably the most desirable. It's been right through ever since they came into Formula 1 back in 2016. So, yeah, it's definitely going to be a target for those midfield guys um, to look at, you know, and if Renault's off limits as well for next year, you know, then surely someone like a Sergio Perez has been talked about or, you know... Um, Charles Leclerc, if he doesn't go to Ferrari, for example, does he go to Haas, as you keep talking about, for a year of development, you know, it's definitely a target for anyone, and Robert Kubitzer as well, as you just told me before we came on air, could be looking at, you know, if Williams is not on the cards there, to get a properly competitive drive for next year, Haas is probably going to be the target. Yeah, it's credit to them as much as um, you can see there again with that one car operation most weekends that... um, that lure is um, really starting to be realised. And, and Kevin Magnuson, uh, his stocks have really been bolstered to date. So he'll be quite content knowing if they continue this development curve that, that there's some really good potential, I think, for for perhaps podiums into next season. Yeah, so we'll wait and see how that all pans out. But for the rest of the midfield, uh, Force India, McLaren, likes of Sauber, do they get a chance to fight for points this weekend? Um, we must ask also, when will Brendan Hartley's luck change as well? He's had unreliability and crashes and all sorts of stuff sort of 
hamper his charge over the last few races in particular. We saw we thought after Baku where he scored those points, his first points in F1, that would he be finally turning a, a corner? But yeah, it's just gone from bad to worst for, for Hartley. And unfortunately, you know, with all that speculation about whether he's going to be on the grid as soon as the next race, perhaps, you know, it just doesn't seem to go away. So you'd really hope for his sake, um, you know, not that he's not a talented driver or anything. You'd hope that he gets some results under his belt to shore up that position in the team. And you ally that with the the news that uh, Honda's essentially said to Red Bull, um, go full tilt with Toro Rosso for developing the, the 2019 power unit and you wonder whether that's going to affect Toro Rosso in the back half of the season and and some of those results at Bahrain and Monaco will be as good as it gets for them and and Hartley will be stuck with a a mule much as he was last year with with Renault on board you think that it's going to be a real shame if he's just stuck in some testing bed for the the balance of the season and that that's probably as it stands going to be the extent of his career yeah exactly and that's not the way you want to look at it but even still if he's there as as a glorified test driver you know it's still unfair the way that the criticisms from I guess the the big wigs above chiefly in helmet marco that you know that he saying that he's not doing a good enough job even though he's probably at his limit there and well, as much as he can be yeah i think uh, just just some kind of breakthrough just so he can hold his his head high it would be nice to see he's always shown those glimpses maybe he can't quite polish it off in a, a q2 to get into the final 10 and then on, on race days is another story more often than not he just seems to be in the wrong place in the wrong time but that I guess it comes back to qualifying further up the grid and, and he's got a uh, clean air around him yeah getting uh, further up the grid as you say and it's I guess also these two races will be the last chance for those off contract drives to impress ahead of the holiday period um, with the mid-season sort of the time where you know those pieces start to fall into place and then sort of spar Monza time after the mid-season break is when we see most of those announcements come so yeah last chance there we'll see Antonio Giovinazzi in the Sauber this weekend as well uh, in place of Marcus Ericsson for FP1 so you know could there be a chance that he's on the grid next year full-time as well if Leclerc moves on from Sauber there might be a position there for him or do Haas take the the punt on him as well who knows we'll see so yeah it's going to be a good weekend exciting weekend and Again, a weekend where we don't really quite know what's going to happen. Ferrari versus Mercedes. Could Red Bull sneak one in? We'll wait and see. Yeah, as much as you think it could be one of those weekends where Mercedes pulls off um, a quintessential display as they did until last season. At the same time, again, Ferrari, uh, from what we've seen today, there's every chance they could just come out and and really um, shake things up on Sunday, if not across the whole weekend, and, and that would be very ominous for the, the rest of the season. Yeah, so, you know, it's that time of year, it's quite crucial. We keep saying that, you know, whilst Ferrari are ticking all the boxes at the moment, it's the second half of the year that we've really got to sit and watch them pull the things together, because they did the same thing this time last year, but then come the second half of the year it all just went to to ruin for them so yeah it's the second part of the year that I'm waiting for to see whether they can actually uh wrap this one up 
<laughs> it's it's just with bated breath we've got to wait and see but anyway any win they can take along the way is quite crucial so let's move it on into the digest then and of course we had the news last week um, of a technical shake-up at Mercedes with Aldo the Apache Costa being stood down from his role as uh, being a technical chief there he's sort of gone back into some kind of advisor role there but yeah Mercedes I guess not really wasting time they're not in the dominant position they were this time last year or this time 24 months ago and uh yeah they're going to make the changes necessary to make sure they stay um a front runner and probably a bit of future proofing ahead of uh, again whatever that composition of the the new regulations are from 2021 instead of having these uh, guys who have probably done all they can and they'll never be forgotten for their contributions to really the the juggernaut Mercedes has been under the the hybrid era since 2014 so it's the right moment to to get them out the door and have a bit of lead time for these successes for two or two and a half seasons and whether they've got an eye on next season or again 2021 um, you can see based on what they did do coming into 2014 they they were probably in for a bit of um, scepticism from those onlookers that they didn't have the right people or they had too many people in these positions, but who are we to judge after what they've gone on to achieve there? Yeah, too many chefs in the kitchen was the talk pre-2014, and then when we saw that uh, era sort of kick off and then the next three years that came after that, um, certainly it was all justified with having all those different people and I guess it all comes back down to Ross Braun and the recruiting that he did do over those years leading into 2014, getting people like Aldo Costa, Toto Wolf, and uh, the like. So yeah, it's quite, uh, quite crucial as to where they are today. But yeah, what you're saying, future-proofing the team for I guess the next year or whatever to ensure that they don't really drop off from um, being a, a front-runner and a leading force in the sport. Yeah, just a sign of a good organisation. These people know when the time has come and it's good to see there's other talent. They've got the faith to, to give them that opportunity. Yeah, exactly. So let's switch over to two wheels then. And we had um, the last race before the mid-season break there at the Saxon Ring over the weekend and uh, we had big news leading into the race that uh, Danny Pedrosa's called time on his career so his long career with Honda finally comes to an end at the end of this season um, I guess we already knew that he wouldn't be riding for Repsol Honda next year with the uh, Jorge Lorenzo taking that uh, seat for 2019 but there was a chance that he could end up on a satellite Yamaha or at some other satellite team for next year but um Pedrosa, I guess, the career he's had, long career filled with a lot of injuries and resilience as well. You know, he's really taken a beating in that little uh, jockey frame of his. And, uh, yeah, he's decided at, you know, he's only, what, 33, I think, and he's decided to call time on it. So good on him for for doing that. But also, you know, congratulations on what has been a, a great career, which should have ultimately given him at least one uh, premier class championship which you know he's been the bridesmaid in so many times yeah he's probably akin to a, a sterling moss of f1 probably one of the best riders not to claim a title and i think it's nice that he will um conclude his career with that uh, perennial association with honda and uh, probably just the right call before he beats himself up too severely he can he can go home and and look on um knowing he gave everything and he was always against it with that diminutive frame so he's probably extracted all that he could have hoped for from from his own uh, limitations yeah and then in recent times as well having a teammate 
who is the freak Mark Marquez as well, who probably didn't really help his cause, but to stay on sort of par with him for those first few years was, you know, pretty good. But yeah, over the last few years, and then this year especially, it sort of dropped away his form. I mean, I, I think he didn't even qualify inside the top 15 for the German Grand Prix last weekend. And then, yeah, race, just don't even remember where he finished, unfortunately. So, um, yeah, that's just sort of how things have come for, for Pedrosa at the moment. But, yeah, it's a good time, I guess, to call on what has been a pretty good career um, in general and pretty popular rider as well. But uh, staying on the two wheels and Mark Marquez, he's made it nine from nine at the Saxon Ring. It's just like... Texas where he's been ever since that race came onto the calendar in 2013 when he made his Grand Prix uh, debut he's just dominated so nine races from uh, nine victories from nine races he was unstoppable again over the weekend we saw a resurgent Yamaha end up on the podium with Rossi and Vinales but yeah you know we we talk about Hamilton and his fortresses over the over the Formula One calendar, but Mark Marquez to win nine years in a row at the same venue on different in different categories—it's just—it's unthinkable. It's ridiculous. Yeah, he's just one of those riders who goes to a another level, and it's really down to him having a a bit of a lapse of concentration, as you see in Formula One. Certain drivers just own particular circuits, those characteristics, and that air of inv- invincibility. Um, as much as he's already. Um, looking pretty good for another title. These kind of circuits where it's almost uh, decided before they even start the race, it just shores up um, his supremacy. Yeah, exactly. Um, going back to four wheels now and uh, Formula E, the season came to an end over the weekend too with the New York uh, City decider, Jean-Éric Verne, crowned champion. So we can finally call him a champion, a world champion. Unfortunately, another one of those Red Bull outcasts of Formula 1 that ended up in Formula E. He uh, claimed the victory on the Saturday, of course, for the championship and then actually won the race on Sunday to sort of just add the cherry on top of the cake for him. Audi ended up as the team's champions in the end. So, you know, Formula E wrapped up another year. Next year they've got, uh, or this this year, as I say, but next season they've got those new generation cars. You've got Nissan replacing Renault. You've got Felipe Massa coming in as well with the Venturi team. So, Another good season ahead, but yeah, Jean-Éric Verne, credit to the guy to get one done. And coupled with what he's done in Le Mans as well, he's really been able to um, see not F1 as being a step-off point from his aspirations, but he's gone on to to greater things, and you never know, there's always those whispers of he could yet resurface at Toro Rosso, and that would be quite amusing considering probably the bitter terms he departed after missing out on on that nod in favour of Daniel Ricciardo but it's good to see that he's still at the top of his game and for Formula E it's good to have all of these expat F1 drivers who seem to accumulate the titles year after year and, and you never know as far as Whoa, Formula E does go we've got Mercedes entering the sport in a season's time as well and its stage is only going to grow um, really coupled with the next gen cars it's going to enter that or exit that embryonic phase at the least. Well the four champions that we've had in Formula E so far Buemi ex-Red Bull guy, Nelson Pico Jr., ex-Renault driver, then Lucas Degrassi last year, and now Jean-Eric Verne. So, yeah, basically just all ex-F1 alumni there. So, you know, it shows you that it's a category, I guess, for you to go after F1 or if you can't make it in F1. But still, it's pretty 
I mean, it's not for us as we keep saying, but yeah, it is still it's still there and it's still doing quite well. So we had Craig Lowndes come out also over the weekend and say that, uh, or rather back up his uh, retirement saying that, yeah, it was his decision despite all the talk and the chatter about the fact that he probably was sacked, if there was a better word to use, that, um, yeah, the time was come. So, you know... Believe it where whatever way you want, you know. If that was the deci- if it was his decision, we've got to respect that. But you know, it's not really stopping people from talking about how oh, it's probably yeah, the team decided to give him the boot out the door. Yeah, it's always going to hang over his head when when you think that someone with his um, status he could call it on his terms, and it does make you wonder who calls the shots at Triple Eight. And we always know that Roland Dane um, is quite forthright as much as he might afford uh, Craig Lowndes that um, that call to be his. You can see that there might have been some external influences, and I guess we'll touch on that shortly with the discussion. But it looks as though they might be playing the uh, the marketing angle as a as a motive there. Exactly, and uh, finally in the digest, no surprise after his outburst or antics at the British Grand Prix, but Santino Ferrucci's been dropped by his uh, F2 team in Trident. So I guess, you know, perhaps his single-seater career is all but over now because Haas have cut ties with him because he was a junior driver for them. He got that four-race ban, which I guess doesn't really matter now because uh, he's been dropped altogether by the team that uh, he was field- he was fielded by for this season. Yeah, surprised it's taken this long for all of his... Uh... Um, connections there to uh, sever those ties considering what he done was pretty carte blanche there was no way of seeing it from a, a certain perspective so uh, whether he rebuilds his career in the, a distant future or, or that's the last we hear of him and he's got his his money I'm sure that he can float in from um, his parents they seem to be throwing the, the dollars around as, as they tend to do in those categories then he He's going to have to obviously lick his wounds, and, and if he doesn't realise what he's done wrong, then you do wonder <laughs> what kind of uh, role he had in the first place, being being on the path to Formula One. Yeah, exactly. So I guess uh, logic prevails in that instance. So let's move it on and have our little supercars discussion as well, which you sort of alluded to before. And uh, the question is, um, who is going to be heir apparent to Craig Lowndes? And back when Triple Eight expanded to three cars in 2016, and Shane Van Gisbergen was brought into the Red Bull Holden Racing Team. There was a lot of talk, and Roland Dane said as well at the time that, yeah, the only reason I'm expanding to three cars is for Craig Lowndes because he's our favourite son. He's, you know, been the servant, faithful servant to the organisation since 2005 or whatever. But we're at the stage now where, you know, hang on, I thought we were going to do that, but it's like, well, um, the third car perhaps is a valuable asset that Triple Eight uh, and Roland Dane could still yet exploit. And now the attention after that retirement announcement has turned to who's going to fill that position at Triple Eight um, following the end of the year. And long-time talks from Holden themselves, the manufacturer themselves, is that they'd like to have a marquee female driver representing them. And this was the, um, I guess, the desire of the previous marketing boss of Holden, uh, Mark Harland, who uh, departed in March, I think, earlier this year. The new boss hasn't really outlined the same thing yet. But uh, yeah, could we potentially have a, a female driver in that car next year? And Simona Di Silvestro earmarked as the natural successor. And with 
huge marketing prospect behind her as well. Yeah, well, Roland Dane, he, he always knows an opportunity when he sees it and he loves a dollar. So I'm sure that that notion of uh, the third entry being exclusively for, for Craig Lowndes would shift to, um, oh, well, we've got a seat vacant and what a coincidence Cohen coinciding there with um, Nissan scaling back its commitments to supercars. You can see the talk of the clauses there for Di Silvestro that it opens up that that opportunity and it does seem quite logical and give her an opportunity to, to really shine where maybe in a the current position where, where Nissan have been improving slowly but too little too late for the, the factory presence that I, I guess at the same time she won't have the excuses if she can't deliver but you know when she's in the really what's been the the leading entry for the past decade that um she's gonna have every chance at her uh, feet there to go and get those podiums and victories that we've been hoping that she would deliver yeah well you know at the moment as it stands in the nissan itself she isn't really outperforming that machinery still she's not at that rick kelly sort of stage and i guess that will come with development so even though putting her into that triple eight holden is not going to immediately give those wins to her and the podiums you know could it be a chance to to further nurture and to hone her skill and have a, a better benchmark to come off not that the kelly the kelly's and the nissons are not um you know against two champions two recent champions in ben gisbergen and jamie wincup it could be a better chance for her to develop and find her feet in this category of course this year she scored her um career best result of 12th at perth um, so edging closer to the top 10 I keep saying Newcastle last year was probably her best performance because she did really well in qualifying sort of was closer to the top 15 but in, in the race she was just relentless with her um, passing and also just not really being uh, not really showing uh, a door to anyone you know even hard operators like Garth Tander were just you know if he's as unyielding as he is, you know, she was probably doubly unyielding with him. So it's really good to see her get the elbows out. And I guess just being caught up in those incidents at the rear of the field, it's unfortunate. But yeah, if she can get herself, qualify herself further up the grid, that would be great. And I guess getting that boost in the machinery will be a step and herself getting those skills honed in would be really good to see. Yeah, avoid those skirmishes if she can be a regular top 10 qualifier at least doesn't have to go winning races but just um building that confidence and you'd think that uh, by year two or year three if she signs a long-term commitment with the triple eight that there's every opportunity that the um the investment will pay itself off but then from a marketing angle as well i guess roland dane as you said has got his eyes on the dollars of course she would bring with her harvey norman backing as well which is you know a pretty big player in the market and they've had a long interest in you know um supporting female involvement in motorsport and of course you know they were the ones who gave her the simona the wild funded the wild card entry at bathurst a few years ago with tickford so you know with that harvey norman going across as well and just in general being a, a sort of beacon uh, a, to promote female involvement in supercars and at top level motorsport it's a really it's a really good thing to do and um really look forward to it if it comes to fruition yeah they've just got to start somewhere it can't be an overnight build so it might be another two or three years and then we might see 
someone else crop up and or really create that diversity where they're on the grid on merit, not just to, to push a certain marketing angle. Yeah, so there's a lot of merit in it as well, as I talk about in an article I'm writing, um, that, you know, it's not just completely a marketing ploy, but yeah, as I said, you know, to further nurture herself um, going into deeper into the category and to perhaps become a stalwart, you know, it's, it's a great thing to do and to do it with Triple Eight, who, as you say, have been a benchmark for the last decade and a half it's um yeah probably the best thing rather than i guess going out and getting a known entity like a chas moster you were saying earl bamba perhaps could commit to australia for full time or you know someone like you know let's say will davison or david reynolds to come over so yeah as much as the talk is there that a it'd be a logical pairing for for um craig lowndes to link up with his old Enduro partner in Jamie Winkup, he'd be invaluable if they placed him alongside G. Silvestre to further her development for however long um, Lowndes wants to remain on Triple Eight's books. Who knows if he gets a better opportunity down the track, but there's a lot of merit in that one if um, they don't see Winkup and Lowndes as the uh, the inevitable combination. Yeah, as has been talked about already, and Paul Dumbrell saying he's happy to uh, hang up his co-driver helmet if uh, that's the case and everything. So yeah, well, we'll see and wait and see how that all pans out, but yeah, from a from not just a marketing angle from a you know sporting angle as well it would be really good to see Simona step up and really just for her own progression in this category as well it would not it'd be nice to see her really become a category stalwart as well yeah I think it's hard in the the current environment with with Nissan clearly it hasn't fulfilled on that promise and with the exposure she'll get through Triple Eight, that can really um, completely utilise what she brings to the series, um, not just through the that angle, but from her own ability. Yeah, exactly. So let's uh, wrap things up then with our sporting moments of the week. And um, starting off with uh, me, it's more so not really um, a heroic or bold moment. It's rather a, a humorous moment, let's say, um, which I saw last week in a one-day match between Pakistan and Zimbabwe. Now, we've seen Pakistani fast bowler Hassan Ali develop a rather interesting celebration technique for uh, whenever he takes a wicket but it sort of backfired on him this time where he he performed it right and uh, he ended up straining I think his shoulder in the process so he does the he does the whole thing routine but then just falls to the ground immediately because his shoulders he's done his shoulder and all the guys are coming around to to cuddle him or whatever he's like no don't touch me don't touch me and you could see the image of their captain Safra's armored walking over trying to contain himself so as bombastic as the uh, the routine is it was just really funny to see him to pull a shoulder that time but he's okay hopefully but yeah that was probably one of the highlights for me over the last week you got to take it in good faith as long as it's not a long-term injury then <laughs> you know he'll place. think twice about doing that celebration next time of course yeah we'll go back to just being docile and just like oh business as usual back to your marker next delivery who cares it's only a, a big breakthrough yeah so it shows that every wicket is pretty uh, important for him but anyway yeah you know a little bit of humor i guess for me over the week you know what was apart from collingwood losing what stood out for you <laughs> yeah, I mean, had, to, had to raise that one. Oh, you know probably related to that not directly but that the talk when you get someone like a, a nick natanui who's gone down with another knee injury it's a uh, 
diabolical for AFL when you've got that um the objective um perspective on on the game instead of just particular club um supporting then you can see that that's a huge influence and he had been back already this season from a, a knee and as good as he ever was beforehand and now he's he's gone again just one of those larger than life characters and it just shows when when they are cut down these these guys who are probably once in a generation the the toll that it does take on on the sports image when it does struggle at times to to cut through and talk of I guess AFL's relevance the way that the game's played then it's a big loss and you can only hope that second time round he, he does the the rehab as well as he did first time and he's still got a future in whenever 12 or 18 months time well that's yeah you know a dent in I guess West Coast's uh, prospects for a premiership this year and I'm sure Daniel Ricciardo would have been grimacing when he would have woken up to that news wherever he was in the world being the West Coast fan that he is so yeah no that's no, not good for them at all but yeah you know you, you still had ended up going down to the them over the weekend but still in a strong position I guess inside that top eight is it or top six now still oh they're still third third so there you <laughs> go yeah i thought maybe along. i thought maybe the loss would have brought them down a little bit given how competitive it's pretty it is. tight but they're but still yeah. third on percentage at least so yeah. there we go that's one positive to take away from uh, our injury laden uh, injury laden uh sporting moments just, of the just week to keep it on on theme i thought i had to chuck that one in there yeah well you know um being too happy about these ailments <laughs> at the same well, time it, it's a huge at least so. at least at least with uh Hassan Ali it's kind of funny but with Nick Natanui of course you know repeatedly it happening it's it's just not good to see we really want to see him on the field and making an impact as he always does when he does play so anyway that about wraps it up for today and for this week so we've got German Grand Prix on the weekend and we'll be back next week to to wrap it all up and of course preview Hungary before we go into the mid-season break so thanks for joining us yeah until then